Here's all you need to know ahead of the weekend for your Calgary Flames. Your Locked On Flames, your daily podcast on the Calgary Flames. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Locked On Flames. As always, I'm your host, Jess Bomasto, and today we are joined by Nick Zeraris. Nick, how are you doing? I'm very happy it's Friday. Yep, couldn't be happier. And today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case. Uh, it provides you with supplies of five antibiotics that treat 50 plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J A S E medical.com. So, right now, we are recording about an hour before uh, the Flames play the Leafs. So, we're here with a nice little weekend primer for you uh, because there's been there's been a lot. There's a yeah, in in the last 24 hours, we've gotten quite a bit of miscellaneous information that all kind of ties into what we're looking ahead for the weekend. Uh, the day started, they called they called up Dustin Wolf because Jacob Markstrom is a little bit dinged up. We know they have a back to back, as you said, they're playing the Leafs tonight, Friday night, and they're playing Ottawa Saturday night. So you definitely need two goalies ready to go for the weekend, and it's always better when you have something this early in the season and you have time. Give Markstrom the day. I, there's a more than likely. Markstrom could play if they needed him to, but you have a third goalie who you've given one NHL start to, and that was the last game of last season. The stakes were very low and Mm -hmm. he's playing very well in the AHL right now again. And this is not a, Oh, they're calling him up. If he plays well, the trade, a trade will happen so they can get him up here right away. This is a, this is, I don't want to call it a wellness check, but it's that kind of thing. It's a temperature check. It's a yeah. checkup. If he plays well tonight, that will go a long way in assuring or assuaging any concerns or do we really want to move Ladar before we have to? Because they're not going to trade Markstrom. So no. that leaves you with the very real, okay, if Wolf plays tomorrow, because Ladar was the first one off at practice this morning. So Vladar plays Friday, Wolf plays Saturday. You go from there, and then you don't play again, I believe, until Tuesday. So you see how the weekend goes, and if Wolf plays well, he's still probably going back to the AHL, but it does help his case. Yeah, and I've seen people start attempt to start a dialogue uh, about trading Markstrom. That's not happening. Um, I, I don't think the Flames are going to entertain that in the slightest. I mean, sure, go ahead and you retain a little bit of salary and you move him, but that's not, it doesn't do anything. You, you're trying to get rid of the expiring contract, if anything, and that's not Jacob Markstrom. But one of the biggest things here, I think, is making, because this isn't like a, a full transition into the NHL. These are baby steps. And like you said, Markstrom will play if, you know, they really need him to, but Wolf is more than likely starting tomorrow in Ottawa. And they, Chris Tanev, I need you to block every shot. 
That's simple as that. <laughs> That's one of the things I have written down here in my notes under the Dustin Wolf category is how to set up a young goalie for success. And we can yeah. look at some of the other teams in the league as to kind of how to and how not to do this. One of the one of the teams that has a similar goalie where really strong developmental league track record was Devin Levy at Northeastern last year, the last couple of years, who really good college goaltender, played a couple of games down the stretch for the Sabres last year. And the Sabres did not go out and get a true 1B to roll in a tandem with him. They handed him the crease on opening night this year and said, you're our starter. You're our guy. And in theory, I understand it. Because if you feel like you're ready to take that next step as a team, you need to know if this guy is your franchise goalie or not. But they needed to kind of ease him in a little bit more because the workload in the NHL is a lot different than the workload in college. In college, you play once, twice a week early in the season, especially before you get into conference play and the playoffs and that kind of thing. But you're talking about somebody who, you know, hasn't played more than 30 games in a season probably since they were 14 or 15 years old when they were playing a lot lower level of hockey. And it's just a lot more taxing and enduring. And it's not a surprise Levy got dinged up, I want to say, the second week of the season, missed about a week in his come back but when you throw a goalie into the fire who just doesn't have a ton of experience it's really hard to adapt to say you are setting your guy up where it's very easy for a goalie to lose their mojo and I was talking about this with somebody a few weeks ago about who who is the last young goalie you can think of that just got thrown to the wolves didn't get eased in didn't have a true backup and the only person we thought of was Carter Hart and he still had a rough rookie season and then as that season went along, he got better. And then he was really good for the Flyers in the bubble playoffs where they beat the Penguins, if I remember correctly. And he played really well in that series and played really well in the second round against the Islanders where they went to seven games, but they had a really good chance of winning in that series. But we're talking about very rare for a young goalie to kind of just come into the season as the presumptive mm -hmm. number one, no backup, no real tandem veteran to lean on. And that's part of why I understand the Flames mindset of let's slow play Dustin Wolf. Let's him ease him into this and like incremental benchmark steps of, okay, we need a spot start. Let's see if he's ready to go. He plays well. Okay. You can consider that in your calculus for the rest of the season and how it's going to play out. But one last point, and I know I've been going for a minute here, but there's a lot to talk about on this subject. There is. Goaltending is fascinating. The, the other point is you're not going to do the uh, trade Markstrom for the exact thing I said. You're not going to go with a tandem of Ladar and Wolf as a team that expects to make the playoffs. It's just not. I would say that would probably be better for the long-term trajectory of the Flames of mm -hmm. next year and the year after that. But for this specific season, for 23-24, I don't see a world where the Flames would do that because it's just leaving too much up to chance. Absolutely. 100% agree. Um now, Jake Ottinger, I feel like, could potentially fall into that category as well. I don't remember really – I'm. this is, speaks to how bad my memory is. What was – did he have like a – I mean, he played really well at BU. Hudobin. The year they made the cup final, he it was Hudobin and him in a tandem. Hudobin made 30 starts and he made 25, 26 starts. So – more of a tandem, a veteran to yeah. lean on, but but you kind of knew Ottinger was going to take over. Bishop and Vasilevsky comes to mind yeah. in particular. Uh, Corey Schneider and Luongo, but the Canucks obviously traded both of them instead of keeping one of them. But, yeah. you know, th that's typically the way you do this. Shesterkin with Lundqvist, uh, Grubauer with Holtby. That's typically the way you do this. You ease your young guy in as the backup, and then you either – 
trade your backup because you can get assets for him like the Rangers have done with Georgiev or the Bruins have done with Vladar. Or you turn that guy into one of your starters and then you trade your older, more expensive guy or just let them go. Yeah, that I mean, it's easy to, you know, kind of pull from the history books there, especially in recent history. Um, I won't go on too much longer, but, uh, you know, they the Bruins expected to do that with uh, Tuka Rask and Swayman, but that just fell apart. But the Flames are doing it right. There's no sense in rushing him into the NHL, especially while you're still trying to sort everything out, including your defense. And we are going to talk about uh, some defensive rumblings from Kevin Weeks, who just casually dropped some news on us uh, last night regarding Zadorov and uh, Chris Tanev. And before we do talk about that, though, I want to talk to you all about Jace Medical. We spend a lot of time talking together, you and I. We get fired up on wins and losses, who starts, who sits, and I'm thankful for the connection we have. And today, I want our chat to be a little more personal. I just learned that you can get a one-year supply of erectile dysfunction medication. You realize what that means? Bring on that extended travel. You're covered, my friend. You don't have to worry about whether or not you can refill your generics for Cialis, Viagra, uh, Rovedo prescription. This is possible because of our friends at Jace Medical. Go online right now at jacemedical.com to receive your 12-month supply on your daily medication. Remember to use promo code LOCKEDON at checkout for a discount as well. Uh, If you or someone you love would get some peace of mind by having a year supply of just about any daily medication, go to jacemedical.com to see if it's offered for you. Remember to use promo code LOCKEDON for $20 off of your purchase at jacemedical.com. Thank you, everyone, for hanging out with us on this fun Friday weekend primer of Locked on Flames. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're getting your podcasts and, of course, on YouTube as well. Kevin Weeks, what a man. It's fascinating and also frustrating that half the time these insiders are dropping like useful information during intermissions, like when people change the channel to watch other games, go to use the bathroom, go to grab a snack, or considering that game started at 10 o'clock, most of the East Coast was asleep when he dropped that information. So it's just, I wish, I know journalism as like an entity is like on its way out, unfortunately, but like you can't have somebody sit with Kevin Weeks and have him write down a what I'm hearing blog once a week. Cause that no. you, cause then you could share that on social media and you can have a wider audience see that as opposed to dropping that on the ESPN plus broadcast, which only people subscribe to ESPN plus who stayed up, who care enough about hockey, who care enough about hockey to watch the sharks and the Oilers. Like we're talking about a very small segment of the hockey watching population there. And he drops that, you know, middle of the night that was well i think that was the second intermission of a game that started at 10 p.m east coast time yeah and that's i mean that might be worse than a friday news drop at like 4 p.m um i I feel like hockey is really finding a way to outdo itself when it comes to just 
the inconvenient or oh so convenient timing for them depending on the story but are you shocked to learn that uh, I'm assuming it was Brad Tree Living called uh, about Nikita Zadorov and potentially Chris Tanev? The Leafs need defense, but I don't know if one guy is going to solve the issues they have. They are, it's more than just the personnel. The style of play that they, the style of play for the Leafs is very, very, I'm try- it's offensive oriented and a lot of their defensemen most I w- I go as far as to say most of their defensemen are offensively inclined and I know they're dinged up right now uh they didn't play Klimberg the last game and they're rolling with a third pair yeah I forgot about McCabe he should be back relatively soon Lilligren is hurt Klimberg is hurt Connor Timmins is hurt so they're rolling with a third pair of two guys who frankly I had to open their hockey reference because I didn't know what they looked like and I was curious what they looked like. (laughs) But generally speaking, if I don't know who you are, you've probably been in the AHL for a lot of your career or you just haven't been in the NHL, frankly. So when you're rolling a third pair of two guys, it's natural you're going to make some calls. The Leafs Leafs don't have the flexibility to really add any money at the moment. I know they were passively linked to Patrick Kane this morning on TSN. I know that they were, as we've we're talking about right now. Kevin Weeks had linked them to both Nikita Zdorov and uh, Tanev, but I don't see a world where the Leafs could do that right now without sending money mm-hmm. outwards, which sure, maybe there is a hockey trade to be made of a defenseman for a forward, something along those lines. But I, I, I'd have to look at the money and try and cal- come up with something that makes sense money-wise, but I understand the logic. Um, Zdorov would be better than what they have on their third pair. Tanev would be able to play on their second pair and Tanev skews a little bit more defensively. And he's a really good defensive defenseman still, even at his age. And that's something Mm -hmm. the Leafs frankly need on this team. We've seen them add a defensive defenseman the last couple of trade deadlines because they know that's a a shortcoming of their team. But I I just don't think that's feasible for right now, at least. No, I don't. With pretty much everyone strapped against the cap, it's, difficult to make these moves happen and we've been talking about that you know since april and may uh especially you know people wanting the flames to do something and us included can't do it if you have no money to move uh or take things on but what i the first thing i thought of was physicality i think nikita zadorov would be one of the more inclined players to just huck his body around And the Leafs kind of need someone like that. I mean, that's been a conversation, I think, for the last few years, but especially with uh, the situation in Boston last week. Zadorov, at the very least, brings some size. He brings some physicality. He brings a little bit of the kind of... He brings the traits that the old hockey heads love. He's big. He's not. He's he likes getting in the mix. He can be a bit of an ass at times. That that kind of thing that goes a long way for teams, especially with guys like Brad, who very clearly still prioritize that over different skill sets. I don't see either of that happening yet. I do think we can tie the idea of Tan Evans and Zadorov to the other thing that Weeks reported, that they had the Flames made an offer to Noah Hannafin of more than $7 million per season. It was on the table, and then they lost a couple games in a row. What was it, six in a row? Yeah. And both sides were like, okay, wait a minute. Let's, 
let's make sure we're going to win some games this year before we agree to anything long term for te- for Hannafin because like hey I want I might want to play on a winning team and for the Flames like well if we're going to be bad we should probably trade him. Yeah. Um that's a lot of money. Yes. I know Hannafin, I have a lot of respect for you, but 7 million dollars uh for a defenseman that doesn't do counting stats that's too much money. It's and not I- it's not reasonable. I- the other point that we all have to account for and I have to keep reminding myself is we're actually going to exist in a non-flat cap world soon where the cap's going to go up more than a million dollars next summer. Yeah. So relatively speaking, I think the hard cap right now is 83 and a half. Conservative mm-hmm. estimates have it at 86 and a half, 87 and a half next summer. So, you know, 7 million of 83 is more than 7 million of 85, 86. So if he's, you know, 4% of your salary cap, 5% of your salary cap, that's workable. You can deal mm-hmm. with that. And in a new cap environment, 7 million is probably the going rate for a first pair defenseman who can play a little power play, who kills penalties and can be in that 30 to 35 point range. But I know everybody that sticker price wise, that's a bit uh, jarring. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's, that's just a lot of money for Noah Hannafin. It is. Especially for what we've seen so far, because I'm pretty sure when that was on the table, he hadn't scored his two goals yet. So you just just trying to keep him to keep him, just throwing stuff at the wall and be like, stay. And you uh, you took my next point. I was going to say there's no point in paying a guy seven million dollars if the team's going to be stinky at the be- at best case. So the logic here of pulling that offer, or at least saying let's wait on this offer, but keeping it in mind of like, hey, if we're having a good season, we'll come back to this, is it gives the Flames a little bit of wiggle room where it says, hey, we tried, we wanted to make this work, but our team wasn't quite what we thought it was. So in the best interest of the team, we're going to send you somewhere else. That's the spin zone on this, that they're doing reasonable roster management as opposed to just trying to be a mediocre hockey. Yeah. And I read two nights ago, I think it was after the Nashville game. Is that Nashville? Yeah, it was Nashville. Um, that the Sharks had called for Hannafin as well. Um, and the Flames shut that down. I'm sure that. Craig Conroy said, give me Anthony Duclair. Hung up, because that's not going to work. No, if you're getting any – and the Sharks got their left-handed defenseman. They traded for Kalen Addison of the Wild during the week, which is bizarre for for both teams, frankly. Like, Addison's a useful player, and then the Wild proceeded to trade for Zach Bogosian, who – useful player, but not not offensively inclined and right-handed instead of left-handed. But at the very least, I understand the logic. And that's really all I ask for from the teams I I cover or root for. I might not agree with every single move you make, but as long as I understand what you're trying to do, I can at least take a little bit of solace that you're acting rationally and using logic as opposed to acting on a whim. Which we see a lot of. But, I mean... Craig Conroy hasn't pulled the trigger on anything yet other than the backland extension, which I think is fine. Like that's not something I'm going to sit here and throw a fit over uh, for the next, however many months this team is playing hockey, but it it is what it is for right now. And, you know, we'll just have to keep waiting on uh, these updates and see if there's uh, any fire to go along with this little bit of smoke that's brewing. But coming up next, we are going to go over some of the power rankings from the hosts um, 
here at Locked On, and I'm very excited to see what everyone has to say about that. And before we do that, though, I do want to take a quick second and talk to you about Parkview Advance. As a business owner, you realize there are times when receivables may f might fall behind, but that doesn't mean you need to fall behind on vendor payments, payroll, or rent. For more than 25 years, Parkview Advance has helped businesses secure working capital. From $5,000 to $1.5 million, Parkview Advance can approve your working capital in as little as 24 hours. It's a much easier process than you might imagine. We invite the many entrepreneurs that are locked on NHL fans to learn more by calling us at 203-675-0071 or go to parkviewadvance.com. If your business needs working capital, call Parkview Advance today. Parkview Advance, helping businesses with their working capital. Go to parkviewadvance.com. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Lockdown Flames. Um, it's Friday. I hope everyone is having fun tonight. I hope you all are bundled up and staying warm and just having fun. Really, that's all That's all I ask for. All right. So this is the Locked On NHL Power Rankings, division by division, voted by Locked On NHL podcast hosts. Where do you want to start, Nick? So me and Hunter started with the Atlantic, where I, I think the most interesting thing we can do here is kind of talk about what jumps out to you as opposed yeah. to going through them one at a time, because we only have like, you know, a handful of minutes here. <laughs> yeah. So like... Looking at this at a glance, I feel like Pittsburgh is too low. I feel like the Islanders are too high. I feel like I feel like the Flames are probably a spot too low. I feel like the Leafs are probably a spot or two too high. I would say that I don't know. I feel like the Red Wings have been better than the Leafs. I would agree with you, a hundred percent. And it's not just because I've watched them demolish the Flames. I promise. No, I think the Red Wings have played well enough that they should be ahead and i think toronto is ahead of detroit i think um what was the other one that jumped out to me as far as oh arizona arizona is actually having a pretty solid season i in fact i was gonna say the wild being ahead of minnesota arizona has a better record than minnesota at the moment wow I, yeah i i think uh, the wild and the leafs are in the spots they're in because of the name recognition where everybody knows they're not playing particularly well right now but we're all operating under the assumption that they're going to play up to their talent level, which yeah. is always, you know, part of the calculus when you're making your own rankings, when you go and submit the poll every week, when you get the link, I ask myself, am I filling this out for based on what's going on right now or what I think is going to happen over the course of the long season? Cause those are two different things. Cause like if I was filling this out for, who I think is going to win the Stanley Cup, I would have the Kings over Vancouver. I would probably have the Oilers over the Kraken, the Ducks, maybe even the Kings and the Flames. I'd probably have the Wild over the Jets. Mm -hmm. I would have the Penguins probably over the Islanders and the Capitals. I'd probably have the Panthers probably at third in the Atlantic. So, But based on where we're at right now, these are pretty close to what I would say. I, these are pretty close to what I submitted. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like, this is relatively close. Um, I, it's so the Metro is such an interesting division. I I can't get over how the Caps have just fallen. I mean, I can. It's they lost all... a lot of talent and they're old. I mean, you think about it. They went from uh, John Carlson isn't was never great defensively, but now he's basically only offense. 
they lost Matt Niskanen. They lost Brooks Orpik. Braden Holtby retired. They traded Grubauer. They, Darcy Kemper is fine, but he's not as good as Holtby or Grubauer were for them. Ovechkin is old. Backstrom probably isn't coming back for a while. Tom Wilson and TJ Oshie are consistently injured and struggle to stay in the lineup. None of their young talent really has gotten has really caught on. I mean, they traded Verona for Mantha. Mantha had, was on Hattie Watch the other night. He had a decent game, but he hasn't really been what they expected for him. Connor McMichael might be the best Connor Mick in the NHL at the moment because McDavid's <laughs> injured, but that's really all I got for you on the Capitals. They're fine. They're, I don't see a world where they're anything more than, like, I think realistically, I think Pittsburgh will pass them. I think mm-hmm. they'll stay in front of Columbus and Philly, but I think they're comfortably the sixth best team in the Metro. The The Metro is interesting because the three best teams are three of like the seven best teams in the entire league. I think that's what makes the Metro compelling to yeah. me. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I feel like we've seen such a switch. Uh, not that the Atlantic is bad by any means, but I definitely feel like the Metro is uh, a little bit more competitive uh, within the last year or two. Oh, it's really interesting because t- traditionally speaking, w- when we talk about these two divisions, you think about who's won the president's trophies the last couple <laughs> of years. You have the Panthers, the Bruins. Year before that, I want to say it w- is – no, it was the Bruins, then the Panthers. Yeah, those were the last two president's yeah. trophy winners. And then Tampa won two cups. The Capitals won a cup in there. Pittsburgh won two cups in there. Where the Atlantic Division has had the better regular seasons, but the mm-hmm. Metro Division teams have gone further in the playoffs, which I have found relatively interesting. Of course, you know, Tampa won two cups. Florida went there. But long range, talking about more than just the last handful of seasons, over the last 10 years, mm-hmm. you've got three Metro Cup winners. You've got uh, the Rangers made a cup final and a couple conference finals in there. Whereas you look at the Atlantic, the Lightning have pretty consistently gone deep in the playoffs. But other than that, nobody else really has. Florida has the cup final appearance, but Montreal did in the uh, year they weren't actually in the Atlantic division. But you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And the Islanders and Hurricanes, I feel like they've both been pretty consistent um you know with the conference final appearances as well like if it's not one yeah, of them they both have the two they both have two in the last couple of years because carolina mm-hmm. made it in the year the capitals won the stanley cup and they made it last year and then the islanders made it the bubble year and the 56 game season year so pretty much everybody has had a decent run at one point or another in this division sans the flyers i mean even the blue jackets had the win yeah. against the lightning in the first round in 2019 and then they they won the play-in round against the Leafs in the bubble. And then they took the Lightning, I want to say, to six games in the first round of that year. So uh, other than the Flyers, pretty much everybody's had at least one moment in recent history in the Metro. The Atlantic, it's a little bit tougher. But real quick, sh- switching gears over to the West. I think the the more there are more talented teams, more teams capable of winning the Stanley Cup in the East than in the West. Yes. Realistically, in the West, I think the only teams capable of winning the Cup are Colorado, Dallas, Vegas, and maybe Edmonton. And that's very – that is me giving them, like, the most optimistic forecast of what the rest of their season looks like for Edmonton. But I don't see anyone else in the Pacific or the Central getting to that tier, barring something weird. Maybe the Kings are actually this good and can't. Talbot's really this good again, but I don't think that's the case for the course of an entire 82 game season. Yeah. I mean, there is still a ton of hockey left to be played and I, I would be 
surprised if Edmonton continues this tailspin. I feel like they do have a very talented roster, but it is about, you know, their goaltending as well. And hopefully, I mean, I don't want to see them do well. Just Connor McDavid for my fantasy team. But like, I don't know. I I don't see it lasting. They are Edmonton is not this bad. We all know that everybody knows Edmonton is not as bad as they are playing right now. They are in that vortex of everything that can go wrong is going wrong for them on every single level. I mean, they lost to the Sharks last night, and the Sharks are an abomination. The Sharks are a disgrace to the sport of hockey, and somehow they beat the Oilers last night. The Oilers, I think, if this continues, will use the fire the coach, breaking case of glass emergency, Mm -hmm. fire the coach, bring somebody in there, look for the quick fix, get that rattle off that quick, you know, seven out of 10 win streak you usually get when you bring in a new coach and they'll be fine. Uh, They need McDavid to get healthy. He's still very clearly dealing with that nagging injury that he rushed back from to play with. And they need that. Yeah. And and they need the goaltending to solidify. I know they sent... uh, Jack Campbell down to the AHL so he could get more work to kind of figure it out. But they also need Stuart Skinner to play. They don't even need Stuart Skinner to be good. They just need him to not be bad. Yeah. I mean, you said it best. They are not this bad. And, you know, I think for a team like Edmonton or of their caliber, I guess, getting beat by like a bottom of the barrel team typically wakes you up in some way, shape, or form. Uh, Real quick here, do you think it's Ken Holland or Jay Woodcroft that needs to be fired first? Uh, It would be Ken Holland, but GMs don't get fired in season unless there's a scandal. So, Hopefully that doesn't happen, Uh, but hopefully their season ends sooner so they can, uh, you know, be done in April and start their GM search. But... I think that does it for us here on today's episode of Lockdown Flames. Thank you, everyone, for hanging out with us. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, X, whatever you're calling it, at uh, Jess Belmosto and at Nick Zeraris. Um, Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube as well. Nick, do you have any parting words for us as we uh, prance our way into the weekend? Congrats to everybody who got into the Hockey Hall of Fame today.